Welcome to Gold with Jeanette Schneider, nuggets of inspiration for a bigger, better, more purposeful life. Each week we share wisdom, insights, and gold from those living their very best lives. After 23 years in finance and a fancy SVP title, I left corporate America to advocate for women and girls in life, love, the boardroom, and the marketplace. Now the CEO of my own media company, my goal is to change the world for my daughter and her friends. My first book, Lore, Harnessing Your Past to Create Your Future, dropped late 2018 and is based on what women wish they would have known when they were girls. This is purposeful content, big conversations, and a safe place for us to share our goals and our dreams for the future. We record every week from the sound studio at The Space LV. Guy Golan, PhD, is an executive coach who specializes in empowering clients from the highly demanding fields of medicine, tech, finance, and law. He also specializes in coaching the spouses of high-achieving professionals who are often the unsung heroes of their spouse's highly demanding careers. Guy and I talk about the clash of identity and success in life and career. He shares that high achievers may not be able to reprogram their vision of success, but can instead create a sustainable home life through reprioritization. Guy shares the importance of quality over quantity and personal time spent and asks his clients, what are you doing when you are available and what kind of energy are you bringing to the family when you have time with them? The number one dynamic Guy experiences with his clients is strained relationships with their partners. He talks about the unique dynamic of the supporting spouse who has many times seen their own career and dreams suffer, their needs being unmet, a faded identity, and a feeling of disempowerment. Guy argues that who you marry has everything to do with who you become. Your financial future, mental well-being, physical health, and who your children become is dependent upon who you select to live life alongside you. Then we nerd out on the science of identities. Guy Golan has published more than 45 peer-reviewed journal articles in the field of media and social psychology. His research was cited nearly 4,000 times in peer-reviewed academic journals. Applying research findings to the real world, Golan has also been quoted in the New York Times, Washington Post, USA Today, Bloomberg News, and Slate Magazine. Let's dig in. I'm excited to have joined me today on Gold, Guy Golan. Thank you so much for joining my show. I appreciate you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Of course. So you are going to help us figure this out, this this work versus life um, that we struggle with. And I, I, I'm very interested in your platform, and I know that you talk to high-performing and high-achieving um, executives and individuals who are also trying to figure out how to live healthy lives. And I wanted to kind of dig in with you as to, um, I've mentioned to you before we get started, I don't believe in the word balance. Um, I believe in presence. But sometimes when we're we're busy, we're trying to achieve, we have a relationship with success, it's very hard to achieve also in other areas of our lives. And I'm so curious if you could kind of share with us a little bit about your practice and what you see with, with families who come to you who are looking to achieve some type of normalcy in a very high achieving life. Wow. Well, thanks again for having me. So I'm an executive life coach who specializes in high performers Specifically, I specialize in people in medicine, finance, law, and tech, along with all other professions that require all of the available time on earth that there is. Mm -hmm. And more importantly, I I really work closely with supporting spouses. Every single person has a completely unique challenge and different reason for hiring me as a coach. However, 
everybody has some similarities. Ultimately, it comes down to the ability of people to manage the expectations of the workplace with the expectation of this thing called family mm-hmm. in life. How do you feel that they, when you when you start coaching with with folks, when you sit down with them, especially with high achieving um, executives, I can imagine you know there's a lot of strain and stress. And I, when I was in finance, I traveled around the country. And it was very hard for me because I had this expectation of you work very long hours, you are paid very, very well. And it's almost kind of a badge of honor to be like, I haven't slept in so many hours or I've been in heels for 16 hours or I haven't seen my family or I haven't gone to the gym. Like those were badges of honor to prove that you've like died for the cause. But in the meantime, my then husband, soon to be ex-husband, was uh-huh. you know questioning, hey, we got a little person at home who misses you. And that was really hard to be a traveling um, mother, um, realizing the expectations of work. Um, it almost feels like you, you can't let them down, but then you're trying to find ways to make it okay on the other side. And I honestly didn't realize how badly or how deeply it affected my daughter until I transitioned away from corporate America. And when I started traveling from my new venture, um, she stopped me one day and she says, mommy, it can't go back to the way it was. And I had no idea how deeply, even though he told me like, hey, I'm worried about your priorities. um, I didn't know how deeply it had affected her until she had like a very visceral reaction to mom's about to travel again. And I'm so curious when you're talking to people who are in these types of roles, do they, what's the overwhelming, like what's the feel that they have when they come to you? Are they, are they frustrated? Are they hoping to get their spouses to understand? Are they feeling like they're failing in one aspect of their life? Are they coming to you as, as like their whole human, like, I don't know how to make this work? Yeah. Well, let's unpack this. I mean, your your case study is a wonderful and very common case study. I mean, unfortunately, you know, I, I'm not happy about the you know the divorce and the outcome of it, but mm-hmm. it's it's so common. Most of us in the United States, and now this is really becoming a worldwide phenomenon. So even some Confucius societies, right? Some um, Eastern societies, especially in Korea, Japan, and now China, you see the same thing happening. There is a formula for happiness that is sold to us, which is you work hard, you are ultra successful in your job, and you will be happy. Mm-hmm. And for many people, this you called it the cause, right? It's all about the cause, right? This cause of becoming super successful becomes a lifelong journey. So during high school, when everybody kind of parties, you, you do things that other kids don't do, right? Or during college, you start taking internships. You're highly driven. You're highly dedicated to your success. Uh, then you go to grad school. Then you you know, you, you, do the, you do the MBA, and then you take the first analyst job, and you're working 80, 90 hours a week. And there is this expectation that down the line, this is all going to pay off, right? So uh, many people place their entire identity on their job and the success that is going to be coming out of this job, right? So in essence, we define ourselves through our success. Hmm. The problem is that success is a moving uh, finishing line, right? You can never really reach it because there's always another step to, to climb. And when you uh, bring other people into the work, into your life, such as a partner, such as children, they want different things from you 
than what the formula of success has to offer. And this is where the tension begins for most couples. Mm. What do you, when you're, when you're working with them, what are some of the, the tips or, or strategies to help them start to kind of um, get that grander perspective? I think that's the one thing that was important for me is I had to almost kind of step away from the grind. I had to almost kind of get some higher level perspective to be able to, instead of being like, but I've got these goals and I've got this and I have this event that I have to go here and they need me for this. And I had to kind of get outside of that and see it from like that 30,000 foot view before I could realize like I have tied my entire identity to this. I don't believe they can do anything without me. Um, And it was, it was a struggle for me to kind of realize and it was, I'm not as important as I think I am in a lot of ways, right? I'm not, I'm also not relying on some of my teammates and my colleagues um, and kind of taking that ego and identity out of it and realizing in a lot of ways, like I've made these choices, right? It's a, yeah, you're, you have this identity with success, but at some point in time, you're making choices that are, are hurting other areas of your life. Absolutely, right? So coaching starts always with taking full accountability and responsibility for your life, your decisions, your focus, right? And your feelings. Mm -hmm. So when I work with high achievers and when I work with their spouses or couples, I actually firmly believe in respecting their need to be high achiever. So I always tell the supporting spouse, don't tell your husband or wife that they're working too much and they're, they have the wrong priorities. Mm. Because you cannot ask somebody who dedicated their entire lives, their 20s or 30s, right, who, who fought this big fight, that climbed this big mountain, to give it up for you. It's not realistic. Rather, I am all about taking the career and building a sustainable life around it. And we do this by reprioritizing the time that is available. For me, I realized that my personal wellness was paramount to my mental health, right? So like for me, I realized it was actually, I felt guilty putting fitness into my priorities because like I should be spending time with my daughter or I should be doing this or I should be doing that. And then I was like, but I'm healthier and more mentally fit when I create these kind of um, these parameters for myself. I, I re kind of evaluated the things that were actually creating a healthier human being for the other people in my life. Absolutely, right? The the healthier you are, the more aware you are, the more conscious you live, the better you take care of yourself, the better everybody around you will be and the relationships you'll have are. Absolutely. But let's take uh, the case of a busy lawyer, for example, right? They may have periods where they have a big trial coming up or a big case you're working on, and they're just going to have to work, you know, 50, 60, 70 hours a week. And you have to respect that. That's the requirement of the job. However, right after the trial, there may be a downtime of maybe a week or two. That's a wonderful time to take the family and make up a lot of the missing time with high quality time. So basically, we always stress quality over quantity, mm. right, with both the spouse and the children. Because ultimately, you know, if you're able to go home and put away the phone and give your undivided attention and leave homework outside of the, you know, leave the workplace outside of home for a few minutes, that's a wonderful thing. You, you know, the children, most of us, right, 
we drop our kids off in the morning at school, we pick them up at five, right? And then they go to sleep at seven or eight, depending on the parent, of mm -hmm. course, right? So it's not like people who are not super high achievers are spending 10 hours a day with their children, right? The real difference is what do you do when you are available? Yeah. What kind of energy do you bring, right? Are you a happy, relaxed, caring, attentive parent? Or are you a stressed out person who's checking their phone and thinking about work when you're playing with your kids or hanging out with your husband and wife? I love that. So I actually have been working with an executive coach myself for about two years. He's changed my life. And one of the things that he shared with me, his own father was actually in showbiz. And he's like, he would be on the road doing his thing. Um, and he learned about time blocking and effective time management through him. Because he's like, when he was on the road and he's doing his thing, he really had to be completely wholeheartedly there. You know, mm -hmm. he had um, shows that were being shot, things like that. But when he came home, all of that shut off and he was truly present with us. Like he actually created these moments of presence where it wasn't that we're like, oh, he's trying to make up for it. No, these were different parameters of his life or different buckets within his life, right? Um, and then if he needed some, you know, maintenance time where he's working with the accountant and the uh, figuring out the bills and figuring out certain things, like he had that time also. But he's like, he almost created these buckets of time so that we knew that when it was our time, we had him 100%. He was there. So there was never any resentment towards him because it wasn't adult time where you're like, hey, let me finish this call. And there's there were no bids for attention because there was such deep respect for the fact that when he's done with the thing that requires his attention, I'm going to get his full attention. Absolutely. So again, quality or quantity. And Especially, you know, we're talking about the children all the time, but don't forget the spouse. Yeah. Just, just as important. This is like the number one dynamic that I specialize in as a coach. So many high achievers have huge success from the outside, but they have very, very strange relationships with their partners. And it, it has to do with a lack of balance between work and the marriage. Mm -hmm. What do you suggest to them? Like, how do they, how do you get them back to that place? Are there kind of, um, is it like they have to have a date night once a week? Like, what is it that they have to do to start kind of reconnecting? Well, I actually work a lot with the supporting spouses because they have a very, very unique dynamic, right? A lot of these supporting spouses used to have their own jobs, mm -hmm. their own careers, and had to kind of take a step back to support their husband and wife, right? Now, there's many of them are still professionals, but again, their career suffered. So ultimately, what happens to supporting spouses, typically we're dealing with three things. One is lack of needs being taken care of, right? So not getting your needs fulfilled. Number two is a faded identity, right? You suddenly become Mr. or Mrs. Right? Mm, High yeah, achiever yeah, as yeah. opposed to being yourself, right? So think about the latest Congress. You know, wonderful thing happened. We had more women in Congress in the last Congress than ever before. Think about all these husbands who suddenly became Mrs. Congresswoman, right? right. <laughs> now, I kind of love it. <laughs> well, absolutely. Guess what? There are women who were supporting their politician husbands for years. Why not? Why not the opposite, right? Yep. But what happens is at that point is there is kind of a kind of identity loss that naturally occurs due to the success of one of the partners, right? So again, needs not being met, faded identity, 
and kind of a feeling of disempowerment. And these are the three main things I work with with clients. Mm. I could see that, especially, I mean, I, I understand number one wholeheartedly. Number two, the faded identity, I can I can imagine, the one thing that I'm the most afraid of is building resentment within my relationship, right? Like, because I recognize how damaging resentment can become. And I can only imagine that as your identity starts to kind of fade, that's some internal work, I would imagine, because it's it's about your own sense of, of self. So it seems to me that rather than kind of going back to the partner and working through that, and here are some tools and practices, is that something that they then have to kind of experience themselves to, to try to work through? It is, but we both know that it's so much easier to blame circumstances or another person sure. than to take responsibility for choices, right? So. Uh, the high achiever, male or female, is very attractive. We are we're taught by society that this is the kind of person that we need to marry, mm-hmm. right? Who does not want to marry the ultra-successful person? Everybody does, right? But what we often forget is that nobody became super successful, right, through sheer luck. Most people earn their success through daily sacrifice and hard work. So what typically happens is... You marry somebody, they're successful, they're dedicated to their work, but then you have to start paying costs for it. Mm -hmm. You have to move around and leave your community, the people you grew up with, people from your church, people from your high school. Then you have to maybe give up your job or maybe take a few hours back to, you know, take care of the kids, right? Uh, You have to deal with the fact that your husband and wife are not around for you oftentimes and that you have many unmet needs. Right. So all of those things are a function of the life you chose and the person you chose to marry. Of course, most people do not enter marriage with a high sense of awareness, but rather get married for a silly thing called love. (laughs) Silly thing called love. I like that. (laughs) Isn't that funny how it just starts that way? It's attraction and love and then it's all the the memos underneath. But but I do I do want to pause you on that point. This is a crucial point. I am so excited to finally announce what I am working on because it has been so hard not to talk about it. Today, Gold is brought to you by Live Media and I couldn't be more thrilled. Live is an app that will launch Christmas 2019. I have partnered with a team previously of Disney Pixar who wants so deeply to use tech for good and we're using tech for great. I have a special VIP experience built out and planned for my Gold listeners. You guys have been on this journey with me, so I can't wait to introduce you to my baby. Through mindfulness and accountability offerings, including meditation, breathwork, intentional living routines, challenges, and lifestyle coaching, Live will provide you with the tools, community, and support you need to live your very best life, leveling up in every aspect. Live meets you where you are and grows with you. Each week, your Live Lab will be curated with talks, articles, meditations, visualizations, challenges, and support to help you move your goals forward in 90-day increments. At the end of 90 days, we will celebrate your accomplishments with you before assisting in selecting those goals you'd like to include in the next 90. Available to you at all times is a phone or chat session with an accountability coach, a master coach, or through an email submission to Dear Live so that we can support you every step of the way. Live is your lifestyle and productivity concierge a thoughtful guide, and an intuitive coach to help you get out of your own way, to create, to pay it forward, because a healthy you today means a healthier world tomorrow. 
Gold listeners will receive a free 30-day VIP experience. That means access to all of the bells and whistles by using code GOLDVIP, all caps, at loveisviral.com. Again, that is loveisviral.com, code GOLDVIP, in all caps. Join the movement. The memo is underneath. But but I do do want to pause you on that point. This is a crucial point. There is not a more important decision on earth than who you're going to marry. Mm. That decision will determine your financial future, your mental well-being, your physical health, and who your children are going to become. This has more impact on a person's life than anything else. And yet, the majority of people enter a marriage either because, you know what, I'm 30, I need to get married, and I guess this guy will do, right? Mm. Or because of love, passion, and great sex, right? Those are not good reasons to get married. So I would say if you look at professional success, okay, you cannot be truly successful in your profession and have a disastrous disastrous home life. I mean, I know George Clooney, whoever, got divorced seven times. There are a lot of examples like that. But getting divorced takes a huge toll financially, mm-hmm. emotionally, it takes a toll on your health and your children. So the mate selection process is a humongous, huge thing that most people really kind of make a decision without really thinking too hard on. I think that's really interesting. And I, I've heard so many um, Fortune 500 execs talk about the fact that um, the decision to marry their spouse was one of the most important in, in their lives, attributing to their success mm-hmm. in many times or in many ways. And I think that that's – we don't take a moment to say – I like what you just said about mate selection is is so huge because um, we do as a society have this whole kind of expectation of where we should be in life, what it should look like. We have this, you know, ticking clock instead of realizing, like, this could be the decision that actually helps propel you um, personally, professionally, and, you know – in all ways. And I, I just, I really appreciate that. I wanted to kind of reflect that back to you that I heard you. And I think that that was a very important point. Um, I think it's, it's really fascinating to me when you look at powerful couples. Um, many times, like you said, you find someone who's attractive and powerful. And of course, you want to be with them. But you also have to, you see a lot of couples where one struggles with issues of of jealousy and I think in many ways they have to have their own level of confidence and success sometimes in order to be able to get through that do you find that jealousy is something that grows within a relationship over time or do you think it's it's part of that mate selection process well here's something really interesting Um, if you ask me what kind of clients I work with a lot I work with strong women and I mean strong women, women who are in positions of power, women who make a lot of money, women who actually don't really need the man all that much, you know, from a, at least from a financial point of view. Um, it takes a very, very confident man to be married to a very strong woman. Mm. It takes a lot. Now, you have to understand, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, this was not a real issue. But when you look at medical schools, when you look at law schools, when you look at MBA programs, you see that the percentage of women is either equal 
or getting equal or by now exceeded the percentage of men. This means, and I'm all about it, right? Mm -hmm. I have a little daughter, trust me. I'm all about uh, women being equal and just as, you know, having just as much opportunity as men. But what this means is that down the line, there are going to be a lot of men who are going to need to be the supporting spouse. Mm -hmm. This is not an easy role for most men Mm -hmm. because it challenges the fundamental assumption that us as men, many of us, grew up on which is that we are supposed to be the alpha males, we're supposed to wear the so-called pants in the family, and so on. So I I see this dynamic as a place where jealousy may come into play, Mm -hmm. but I don't don't recognize jealousy as jealousy. I recognize jealousy as not having a strong sense of identity for yourself. People who have, have their own identity cannot be jealous. Yeah, let's talk about identity a little bit because it's come up a lot in my in my show. How would you how would you describe identity? Um, because we, we know the word, but I don't think people realize how much of who they are is wrapped up in it. I realized it when I recently retired from my job in corporate mm-hmm. America. Um, I was very successful, had a beautiful title. And I was ready to retire because I had a platform that was building, but I also didn't realize how much of my own identity was wrapped up in it. And I went through layers of grief, layers mm-hmm. of grief, because I was like, what does this mean about who I am? So could you walk me through a little bit, like when you're looking at people and you're talking about identity, what does that mean to someone who doesn't, hasn't felt the gravity of it yet because they haven't been kind of smacked with an opportunity to meet their identity? I'm going to give you a great metaphor. Identity is the floor that we stand on. Hmm. Okay, so I, I don't know if you know this about me or not. I'm um, I'm a PhD and a academic scholar. I've published like 40, 50 peer-reviewed articles, and a lot of them deal with identity. Hmm. So if I if I nerd out too much, please. Let I me love nerding. I love nerding out. All right, We're all good. good. All right, good. All right. Well, let's say we all go to a um, cocktail party. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you meet a stranger. First question people will ask you is, what do you do? Go ahead. Yeah, what do you do? Well, well, well what is your name, mm. right? First question is, what is your name? Mm-hmm. Second question typically is, what do you do? Mm-hmm. Well, what I've learned along the way is that that is actually the question that most men receive, right? So my name is Bob and I'm I'm an accountant. My name is Bruce and I'm a I don't know lawyer, right? But when women meet each other. A common question is, do you work? Hmm. Do you work? Now, coming from New York City, where I used to live, that's not as common of a question. It's kind of assumed that you do work. But in most parts of the United States, the second question is, do you work? And if you do, where do you work? What do you do? Mm -hmm. Right? So uh, this goes back to the point I made before that our identity in the West is defined by our profession. However, all of us carry multiple identities all the time, right? So there is a whole area of social psych called social uh, identity theory, where essentially people view themselves as members of different groups. We self-categorize into groups, and then we view the world through the prisms of in-group, out-group. And your identity will become important to you, salient to you at different times, depending on the circumstances, right? So at any point we are, you know, our identity can be defined by our gender, 
our age, our political ideology, by our ideological issue stances on different issues, right? So somebody, you know, if they watch, um, yesterday they had these uh, climate parades somewhere, right? All mm -hmm. around the country. Yeah. So, you know, my environmental identity can become salient because I'm exposed to this kind of context. However, if it's, you know, if it's National Breast Cancer Day, my identity as a woman may become more salient. Mm -hmm. Or maybe there's something going on with morality in society, and then my religious identity may become more salient. So we, all, all of us, have multiple identities that always compete with one another. When it comes to the workplace and the family, we have three or four basic identities. My professional identity, my identity as a husband or wife, and my identity as a parent. Mm -hmm. And guess what? I don't need to tell you. Those three identities clash oftentimes, mm -hmm. right? And by choosing to place you know, more energy on one than the other, you're not only paying you know, prices over there, but you're also defining your identity through the balancing act between the three. Did I nerd out too much? No, it's really interesting because, like, as you're talking, I'm thinking of almost like a, a web, right? Like, we're a, a web. We're not – we want so badly to put people in boxes and make them dimensional, like one-dimensional, right? We want to be able to call them a this or a that or look at a person and give them a title or a name. And we're so much more um, – there's so much more to us. Um, what was interesting is as you were talking, I was imagining myself at a, at a cocktail party back in the day when I was in my role and I just had a child and I was someone's wife and realizing how even my personality changes depending on which one I'm identifying with in that moment because in my role in finance I always felt like I had to be more masculine I was very aggressive um, I was told that I could be emasculating because I worked primarily more around men and I learned how to almost kind of like I talked like them in a lot of ways because um, I didn't want them to see my gender. And then with my my ex-husband, he's we were two alpha personalities. Um, so that was, when it was good, it was good. And it wasn't, it wasn't. Um, and then I'm a very nurturing mother. You know, so it's just, it's really interesting, like, to think of all of the dimensions of identity and how it's very hard. Um, you know, I've in the political climate, I've been asked a lot, like, what I am or what religion I am. And I'm like, I don't even want to call myself anything anymore. Because I feel like I'm so much more dimensional than the name that you're going to give me. Um, but I also recognize the human experience. Like I, I find psychology and science so fascinating because we, we have all of these ways of measuring and understanding people, but we continue to flex up against them. Do you know what I mean? We continue to be so multidimensional and so faceted that it's, it's hard to put anyone in, in a box. And I think that's one of the things that I find fascinating in relationship um, especially like now being in a romantic relationship and finding these facets of the person that I'm sitting across and not thinking of them just as a father or just as my partner or just as, you know, a, this, a CEO of a startup, but all of these different um, facets um, that create kind of a storyline or, or an impression. And I just think it's really fascinating. So you didn't nerd out. I'm over here doing my own nerding out. <laughs> I'm analyzing well, all of it. But I do want to throw another interesting perspective into what you just said. Okay. When you sit in front of your new boyfriend mm -hmm. and you are sitting there and kind of trying to identify his multiple identities, mm -hmm. 
in a way, you're not just sitting there as an objective viewer. You are projecting your own identity, mm. right? And negotiating your personal identity with his identities. Because we cannot be, despite the fact that all of us ultimately end up with somebody who's very different than us, all of us need somebody who essentially affirms and projects the identity that we want to have for ourselves. Interesting. And this is why high achievers often attract other high achievers. Mm. That's so interesting because it's it's so true. You're constantly trying to validate your own experience, even with the Absolutely. people around you. Mm-hmm. So interesting. I think for me, it's been it's been interesting leaving corporate America and and navigating relationships and going from being a co-parenting mom now to being in a relationship blending a family and kind of learning those different aspects of, of self. And I think for so many people who, who listen, I know I have a lot of high-achieving moms that listen who are married to either supportive spouses or other high achievers. And it's been really interesting hearing them navigate um, how to – how to how to be okay with being high achieving and be a good mom at the same time. And I was talking to a couple of women yesterday. They they own three businesses between them. They're starting a restaurant group. They're just, I mean, they've got it. And their husbands are both high, I mean, high achieving everybody. <laughs> and mm-hmm. they both just had babies. And mm-hmm. they talked about this newfound guilt where Yes, they bring the na- the nanny comes with. Sometimes the babies are with them in meetings. People are very open to it, and I think that that's the way the world has to shift, recognizing mm-hmm. that husband and wife come together to create a-, a-, a being, and that doesn't you know get one of them off the hook from having to kind of uh, be the primary caregiver. But what was really interesting is hearing them talk about being high achieving and feeling so guilty for those moments when their kid. You know, cries out to them and wants them and those um how your identities are constantly fighting one another absolutely absolutely but this is why you see a lot of women high achieving women actually taking a step back later on in life in their careers so a lot of for example there's recent research showing that a lot of doctors female doctors again my area of specialization mm-hmm. are taking a step back in their career and going part-time mm-hmm. right a couple of years in post-training. Look, I mean, these little people who cry eventually learn how to express their needs and feelings and emotions, as you as you told yourself, right? Yeah. And at that point, your priorities really have to become a lot more, you know, the, the ability to negotiate between the two becomes a little more difficult, and then people ultimately make choices. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I think it's, I think all of it's just so fascinating. This, this entire there's no answers. There's no perfect answers. And I think relationships are so interesting and our, our playground for growth. It's where we learn, I think, the most about ourselves and our relationships with others. And mm-hmm. I'm so curious for, for you, what's what's your what's the the success? Like when you have when you work with a family and you feel like you've really you pat yourself on the back, what does that look like? Is it because they've turned more towards one another that they've established better parameters? Like, what is it that it looks like when you're working with someone and you feel like it's there's been success there? The one thing that my coaching and I guess all coaching ultimately focuses on is awareness. I find that so many people live their entire life and pay huge costs, right, 
because they have no self-awareness. They cannot link the, re- the connection between their mental focus, what they're focusing on, their emotions, and their habits and rituals, and life's outcomes. And they're kind of surprised. It's like, how did I end up in such a bad marriage? How did I end up, you know, 50 pounds overweight? How did I end up sick? How did I end up this? You know, and it's so easy to blame other people, but when you have personal awareness, it's like, you remember the, the matrix when mm-hmm. you kind of wake up and you take the blue pill or the red pill and suddenly your life is different because now you are responsible for everything, which means that you can solve anything. Mm. So personal awareness frees you from all the pains in the world. Mm-hmm. And that's what I work with clients on. I love that. I actually, the, the podcast that I um, recorded right before you, we talked um, about self-awareness and it's it's how important it is to kind of own <laughs> your place and your role in in events and where where you stand, right? Like rather than the how did this happen, it's okay, I did this. Mm-hmm. And and Absolutely. how do I how do I change it on and go forward? I wanted to ask you a couple of questions that I ask I ask everyone. Um, if you were to look at a younger version of yourself based on your life experiences today, how mm-hmm. old would he be and what advice would you give him? I would speak to my twenty year old self. I think 20 is a really important age. You know, you're you're no longer a teenager, but you're not a real adult yet. And what I would demand of myself is to take my life to a higher level. Mm. And what I would recommend to myself is to do three major things. The first one is travel more. Travel the world as much as possible. And by the way, I'm a huge world traveler, mm-hmm. but I would have done a lot more. The second thing is yoga. I am a huge fan of yoga. It is such a wonderful thing, and so many men shy away from yoga. So one of the things all of my clients will hear about is yoga, yoga, yoga. It it will make you strong. It will make you powerful. It will bring you peace of mind. It's just wonderful. And the third thing, and don't laugh at this, I would would hire a coach, a a life coach, Mm -hmm. as early as I could. My first life coach was hired when I was in my 40s. And as soon as I worked with my coach, maybe five or six sessions in, I asked myself, why didn't I do this 20 years earlier? Mm-hmm. My entire career would have been different. My entire outcome would have been different. Because again, the sooner you wake up from the matrix, the sooner you have a sense of awareness about your ability to lead your own life, the better your life will be. So, you know, that's the advice I would give myself. I love that. I believe that we have to travel the world because we need to see how small we truly are and then how connected we can be as humans. And I practice yoga like a crazy person. So I'm right there with you. I'm, it's That and my coach have changed my life. Um, and I think once you can provide yourself some separate separation I think from your own thoughts and provide or provide a perspective that not only do you get and I think that's one of the beautiful links that I see in what you just said is you're offered perspective through world travel through the answers that you get on your yoga mat and through having an uh, an objective uh, third party helping you kind of navigate so I love that Uh, last question for you if you were to be leaving this earth and you needed to leave behind wanted to leave behind some gold nuggets of wisdom or inspiration uh, for the next generation, what would it be? 
I'm going to share the advice I got from my father. I have an 83-year-old dad who is my best friend in the world. And my father is a man who's done amazing things. My father, you know, I can I don't want to list all of his accomplishments, but he's he's been a winner and a loser many a times alike. He's done some really big things in his life. He was a very important man. He's, you know, the newspapers, he used to write about him all the time. And at 83, I asked my dad, so what do I need to know? And he says to me, Guy, have very, very strong relationships with your wife and your children. Mm. Everything else will disappear. And the real substance of life is family. Mm. That's very powerful. My, um, I had the blessing of being with some loved ones right before they passed. And the resounding clarity was love the people around you. Love the love your family. Don't chase after things. Don't run after things. But love the people who will surround your bed the day that you're dying. So absolutely, absolutely. It, yeah, I know that's really beautiful. Well, I am so thankful that you joined me today. If people want to find out more about you, where can they go? MarriedToBusy.com. MarriedToBusy. MarriedToBusy.com. <laughs> and your podcast is of the same name, is that right? Married yeah, to Busy. I love it. Yeah, Married to Busy show. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being on Gold and sharing your gold. And I appreciate all that you you offer today. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining today. I absolutely 100% adore the notion that your partner is the power player in your life. And to those singles out there worried about clocks, I hope you find some relief in the idea that you find the best person for you, not to fit someone else's timeline. If you want to find Guy, head to MarriedToBusy.com and subscribe to his podcast by the same name. As always, please subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, and don't forget to share with your friends. Gold listeners, don't forget to sign up for your 30-day Live VIP experience at loveisviral.com, code GOLDVIP in all caps. Get deep in the work with me to uncover your messaging before you pass it on to your children or the people you influence. Pick up my new book, Laura Harnessing Your Past to Create Your Future, available on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com. Until next time, in the words of my grandma, love each other every day.